Hi, Voice Memos David here. Before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to issue a trigger warning for sexual assault and grooming. This movie has depictions of both and are discussed in this podcast along with some of the topics mentioned in the Me Too movement. So if that's something that you're not comfortable with, then this might be one that you skip out on. All right, here we go. You don't know what's out there. That's why I'm a girl. Hi, and welcome back to Wild Dream, where we give you the freshest takes on the latest movies. My name is David. And my name's Daniel, and I was feeling that beat, man. We had the best. <laughs> we got the best theme song, man. Yeah, man. I like no one can find a royalty-free podcast yeah, free it's, use it's, it's, <laughs> license with Creative Commons Zero music like your boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, problematic, you know, band name. It's not the best marketing uh, name for the band name to be royalty-free music that you could have. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I Googled and I found it. So <laughs> And we just saw Honk for Jesus. Save, Save your soul. soul. Now, I can't say the word Jesus without saying it in a southern accent because I spent years in the Bible Belt going to Baptist church where they say Jesus. All right. Um, but this movie is actually called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. God, that was painful. It doesn't sound as, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't sound, sound right. right. Yeah. But it's not like that. It's not a southern movie. It's not. I mean, it's in Georgia. Yeah. And what so the, it's, it's somewhat southern. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not our southern, I guess. It's yeah. a little bit different. But what this movie is, is a, a total surprise. I mean, me and Daniel going into this movie um, did not expect to enjoy it as much as we did. Uh, yeah, we saw the trailer for this movie uh, plenty of times before some of the movies we've watched for the pod. And it came off in the trailer as just like a really basic uh, kind of run of the mill mockumentary that was just sort of a commentary on big church and stuff. But um it was very pleasantly surprising uh, because it was so much more multidimensional than that. Um, and it had a lot of drama and uh, just different themes that really struck a nerve with me um, that I felt like I c could connect to. So uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I will say here in the spoiler free talk, if you are on the fence about checking this one out, definitely give it give it you know the time it deserves, because, you know, I'm very grateful we, we, we were talking about potentially skipping this week, right? Because we had some scheduling conflicts and we didn't know what we were going to do about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to skip because we're in a good rhythm. And I'm really, really glad that we made that decision because this was a great movie to go see. And the best part about it, it's streaming on Peacock. So so if you have a subscription to that, then you can just go stream that and check it out for free. So I, I, I would highly recommend that. Um, you know, we're going to talk more about it here, but definitely was more than I expected it to be. And you can tell that there was a lot of passion and love that went into making this movie because there were a lot of opportunities that they could have taken shortcuts and they chose not to. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard a lot of people, um, a lot, just so many people that have reached out to me about the podcast. Um, no, I've heard some people uh, that have had a hurdle listening to these because they're like, well, I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, this is a great one because, like Dave said, it's on streaming. So you can just watch it in your living room real quick and then listen to the pod. Um, now, if, if that doesn't matter because if you're listening to this, you are already listening to it. Um, so, you know, but yeah. Um, but if you listen to the spoiler free talk, which you should. Right. I, I, I like. I have a friend who does that who listens to the spoiler free part, but is, you know, hasn't gotten to the spoiler talk yet because he wants to see the movies. Um, so, yeah, this is a good one. Um, I guess before we dive into spoilers, I just want to say like what I thought stood out in this movie. Um, the 
acting is incredible. Two leads that carry this movie on their back. Um, I, it was just fantastic. It's just crazy how the comedic moments in this movie made me laugh. The music in this movie was great. And then the drama in this movie worked so well. It made me like emotional. It made me, there's some tense scenes that made me feel uncomfortable in a, like in a effective way. Um, it, it was just it, the spectrum of, uh, it, feelings that you get from this movie are, is actually so much wider than I thought it was going to be. So I, I really did enjoy it. Yeah. I, I agree with every point that you made. This, the script was fantastic. Um, probably, you know, one of the best written movies, if not the best written movie, um, that we've seen so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the kind of script like vengeance where you are thinking about the person who's writing it when, when you're, you know, watching it. And I think that that, you know, that is really well done. So, Definitely get this one uh, a, a watch. Um, I think more than any other movie that we've done so far in the podcast, would I recommend more than, than this movie to go and actually watch it. All right, so we're going to go into spoiler talk now. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul is about the following. In the aftermath of a huge scandal, Trinity Childs, the first lady of a prominent Southern Baptist megachurch, attempts to help her pastor husband, Lee Curtis Childs, rebuild their congregation. I, I, what I like about that synopsis is that, you know, this movie really is about Trinity, right? Uh, the interesting thing about that is that because they do the mockumentary style, at the beginning of the movie, it's not. It's not about her. It actually is about this story that they think it's about, right? So in every mockumentary that you see, even if you go watch, you know, the first episodes of The Office, which is probably like, you know, the the building blocks of mockumentary. I know they weren't the first, but they, you know, probably were the ones who perfected it. They weren't even the first of that actual show. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but like in that, you know, you see like you, the, the filmmakers are deciding what the movie is going to be about as they're making it. And so at the beginning of this movie, it's just about the story that the pastor thinks that the movie is about, which is his comeback after, uh, allegations against him were brought up about sexual misconduct. This beginning, the way it starts out and stuff, it's not bad by any means, but it's not as engaging as it becomes over time. Right. Um, it seems pretty standard at first. Um, and you kind of have to do that in some regards because you have to build it up. You have to show who these characters are. And so there were some choices early on during this section where they're introducing that worked really well, especially like these the old kind of VHS tape effect yeah and they're like like 420p like it's like yeah, a like, like um standard access cable type yeah yeah like you you would turn to channel so, 17 yeah. and see this yeah and what's really great about that is that you know this isn't it, it it's unlike uh, a movie like a show like the righteous gemstones in that um yes it is about a pastor who has unbelievable wealth but he's not a mega church leader you know what i'm saying he's not joel olstein you know what i'm saying so like i like that he is one of these guys who is profiting from his you know work in the church and with a true to a tremendous degree um but it's not about like he doesn't have hd cameras you know what i'm saying like he is doing this grassroots style in a way um and kind of like you know behind closed doors so you know i i, I so i really appreciated those decisions those filmmaking decisions that they made because you know first introducing the characters you know i don't know if you felt the same way dan but like I have seen both of these actors, Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall, and so many other things that at the very beginning, it was something I kind of had to get over, was like not seeing them as the characters that I've seen them as in the past. Yeah, um, I didn't have too much of a hurdle with that just because, I, I mean, I know Regina Hall from like Scary Movie and, and stuff like that. 
I've always known her as a comedic actress, which is one of the things that makes her performance so great and dynamic in this movie. Um, Sterling K. Brown, I actually have not seen him in a whole lot, even though I know who he's a prominent, you know, figure. I just haven't seen a lot of the stuff he's been in. Racist. <laughs> um, now, Leonardo DiCaprio, great. fantastic. I've seen everything. Um, and just yeah. a fantastic guy in general. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we're not on social media, by the way. So right. we have no idea if there's any controversy <laughs> about Leo. Um, so you didn't have trouble with that. Yeah, I didn't have much trouble with that, but it, it what was great about that is what I do know Sterling Brown, I know that he's really big because of This Is Us, but I don't watch that show. Um, but I did see him in Waves, which is what a movie that had a very severe impact on me. Like, I still remember to this day the theater I went to see it at and everything. I remember coming out of that movie just crushed because that was one of those saddest movies I've ever seen. And Sterling Brown plays a very stern, serious dramatic role so that's what i know him as and in in the first half of this movie and some sprinkled in throughout he is a comedic relief of sorts he's he but in the way that like michael scott where he is the butt of the joke he just doesn't know it you know it's like he's really he's just but it works he's so charismatic that it it was. I was surprised that I was laughing at Sterling K. Brown, and then surprised that I was like almost crying, you know, at Regina, at Hall. Regina Hall. Like yeah. it was like these things that flipped for me. So that worked to my favor in that regard of what I know them as, right? Yeah. And so, like, yeah. I mean, and I do want to. I want to clarify, you know, what I was what I was talking about in, in spoiler free talk, and you know, this is consistent throughout the movie is that, you know, one of the issues that I have with with mockumentary style filmmaking, including like. Um, found footage style is that it provides too much opportunity for me to cut corners. And with that, what I mean by that is if you go and watch like a found footage movie, especially and even some documentaries, it feels as though sometimes filmmakers believe, Oh, we don't have to build up natural transitions and we don't have to make proper edits and cuts and, you know, thematic and interesting shots and all that stuff because it's mockumentary. Oh, it's just running gun style, blah, blah. And so there were a lot of opportunities for this movie to cut corners and it chose not to do that. And I think that, you know, a lot of this movie was inspired by the office, particularly in the, the, the making of it, like the way that they chose to make it, including like the way that they zoom into certain things and zoom out and walk around and cut and follow people and all these things. So, you know, with that said though, this movie is not all comedy. There was also a decision that was made that there were times in this movie that were not mockumentary Meaning they, you know, took away that facade of the mockumentary style and then they added in shots and scenes of what's actually like going on without the premise of the mockumentary. So, um, you know, at first, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I felt a little bit conflicted about it. I'm, I like that they did it only because I would not want to remove any of those scenes. I don't know, I guess, like I said, I was a little bit conflicted on it because I felt like, OK, well, if you're doing a mockumentary, then you need to make it seem as as it's as difficult to make a documentary as it is for this mockumentary person to make their documentary and that you're trying to get the story without every detail. But the interesting thing is that the scenes that they show that are not part of the mockumentary are just pure character development. It's not part of the documentary right. filmmaker getting the story. Yeah. It's the kind of antithesis of a movie like It Comes at Night, which I don't know why I'm this early into the podcast and already mentioning two Trey Edward Schultz movies, but um, that movie doesn't reveal anything. You don't get to see anything and it's for the impact of that movie so that when the credits roll, you, you have no idea what actually happened as far as not to say that the movie's like confusing or anything like that, but it's like, there's a big decision and you know, a big 
act that happens in that movie, and I'm trying not to spoil it, so I have to talk vaguely, but the what makes that work is they don't show any of what happened. This movie is like the opposite of that in, in the way that they do show what these this pastor couple is actually like behind closed doors for, again, for the purpose of the movie. I think it works. Um, of course, Dave sees the movie through the eyes of a filmmaker character. I yeah. can't believe that, you know? <laughs> um, but that's why, I mean, that's, you know, not to get too uh, metaphorical or anything, but like, that's why we do this podcast, right? It's like, it's, yeah. it's you want to, I like two perspectives of people who saw the same movie and saw it through different lenses. Like, I think that's what's so cool about uh, movie discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll recap a little bit about, you know, what kind of what happens in this movie. But, you know, for the majority of the, the beginning of the movie, you're kind of just setting up this plot, which is um, this pastor was accused of inappropriate um, sexual misconduct. Right. And they right. don't really explain that at the beginning of the movie. And then once they get to the part so that, that they do, it's done really, really well, because all you know is he has done something inappropriate with sexual misconduct. And then they have this sex scene if you want to call it that, right? Yeah. And most sex scenes in movies, I, I think, are not purposeful. And even in sex scenes in which... This- oh, they're purposeful. <laughs> Sell tickets, baby. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Sex sells, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, nine times out of ten, I'm like, if you take out a sex scene in a movie, it's nothing... Like, like Nothing if not better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even the movie When Harry Met Sally, like, considered one of the greatest rom-coms of all time in, in well-written scripts. I, I have my issues with it. But... There is a scene where Harry and Sally have sex and it starts with them kissing and then cut to it's the next morning. The fact that they don't show their sex has no impact on the movie whatsoever. And so it's like, it's like, so there's a, I'm not just saying there's examples where you could take it out. I'm sure I'm saying there are examples where it's not, it was excluded and you didn't even care or notice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but then again, but who wants scene, to see Billy Crystal have sex with anyone? <laughs> this was young Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Oh, wow. How fucking dare you disrespect This feels good. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, this movie, it was very necessary. And I think mm-hmm. probably one of the most well done, quote unquote, sex scenes um, that I've seen in a long time. Here, I'll explain the sex scene because Dave's too young. I don't want his. Uh, no, no, no. Don't get corrupted, Dave. Matter of fact, take your headphones off. Close your ears. All right. <laughs> so, even though you saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, so this this sex scene is, um, at least into my memory of what we just saw, um, it's when it, the movie really takes a turn into this more subtlety of drama because the sex scene starts off very loose and like, you know, kind of goofy and fun. And then what happens is... Uh, Lee Curtis, the pastor, turns her over to have sex um, in a way that you fuck in the butt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to be too crude, but he tries to fuck in the ass. I don't want to be too crude here, but he's sticking it in the pooper, baby. Uh, all right, so we were talking about fucking the ass. So these. So <laughs> We're talking about anal, so we're trying to fuck her ass. So, uh, yeah, Lee Curtis is um, trying to have sex with her anally, and she is very upset by this, and she's like, um, I thought maybe we could do it normal this time. Um, And he's like, begrudgingly, okay, yeah, turn over. And he tries it, but he can't get hard. 
so he turns over, tries to masturbate to kind of help. And she's like, you know, are you okay? And he's just like, uh, you know, can you just do that thing for me? You know, like in, it's almost as if his character is like, here's a compromise. Let's just compromise both of us. Um, blow me, <laughs> you right. know? And it's just like, and again, now and, she's and begrudgingly. Like he also has not been like coming because like yeah. he's like I need this like I just really need this right me. yeah he's like please like baby please like do this for me for the man of the house you know it is it establishes this like Dave Dave had mentioned how that's um when we were on the car ride here you know back to here he had said like that scene just like it gives you oh here's a this kind of normal standard relationship Christian man Christian woman uh, the woman must do these things for the man because he's the man of the house like this really hierarchy like thing which Dave believes in and it practices and right. so and Taylor does what the <laughs> fuck I say I say I say produce a pod she produces yeah. a fucking pod because that's what Jesus wants from us <laughs> but yeah it's just and it's so sad I feel so bad for Regina's for uh, you know Trinity's character or Regina Hall's character Trinity in this scene we because remember character names now so yeah, yeah we're trying to we're working on it um, but yeah, she, I just, it was heartbreaking. And again, it's just such a, um, it's such a shift because the scene starts funny because they're doing dirty talk while involving Jesus. They're like, you feel God inside you, baby. Yeah. You want to feel God deeper inside, you know, just really goofy. And now I'm just feeling like so uncomfortable and sad that Regina Hall is used as an object that he doesn't really want unless it's in a very specific way. But what the scene also does pretty obviously i think you know in a in a good way because it is a show don't tell is that he's gay (laughs) yeah or at least he he prefers men yeah right so and the thing about it is that you know when you hear stories about a mega church leader or you know a a, high prominent church leader being involved in sexual misconduct you know the first thing you think is oh he's a pervert you know saying oh he can have sex with whoever he wants because these women will do whatever whatever and so when you have an opportunity where he's having sex with his wife and he can't get hard, your first thought is, oh, well, how come he can't get hard? Doesn't he fuck all the time? Isn't he like a huge pervert? Who just, you know what I'm saying? Who's like sex craze? Is he potentially a sex addict? You know what I'm saying? Like whatever. And then so that's when it kind of clicks in your head for you because like, you know, of, of the way that the scene plays out and like the things that he does in it. And then that scene is immediately followed by the same like, you know, 420p like shitty like, you know, camera of, of a sermon he did that was oh, anti yeah. LGBTQ and anti-gay, mm-hmm. right? So it's like they do these things back to back, which I thought was a great decision because, again, it's like it's like if you were actually making a, a, a documentary, you know, you would include that in the in the in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Because then later it comes up. So while the sex scene is not part of the mockumentary, it was so very necessary to get that development for one her relationship with him, with his perversions, and you know his doesn't practice what he what he preaches which yeah. i think is again good character development because he is fake he does put up a facade for for the for people yeah and i think yeah this is like you said that it, that's what makes this so much more brutal is because if you had this same plot but he was actually taking advantage of young girls right let's say like his sermons already include you know marriage is about a man and a woman and they should be together and faithful. So he doesn't practice what he preaches in that regard. But the fact that it's also young like men that he's taking advantage of, he doubles down. So not only should you be faithful, but also you can't be like you can't be with another man. And right. women should not be with women. Men should not be with men. So he's he 
he's breaking two of his, you know, it's like, it's like, God dang, you know, like it's really, it's just messed up. It's just really messed up. Um, yeah. So that this, this movie starts to really become more, uh, than just a straight up comedy or even commentary. And now it's becoming dramatic, at least to me, because I'm starting to really sympathize for uh, Trinity in this. And, and I'm now I'm like, oh, wow, like she's really holding it down. <laughs> like, how does she keep it together? Right. Like she's holding all this stuff together in terms of uh, the church itself. She's holding this stuff together in her marriage. She knows that these allegations are true. She And now she's and she's still is taking care of him in even physical ways. It's just like her character is doing so much and putting on a smile when the cameras are on throughout it. And so I'm like, all right, I'm in. Like, I really love her character. And I like his character for what it provides, too, because it's a realistic, brutal depiction of that, right? It's not, it's, it doesn't feel caricature or like, ha, he's gay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know how like these real life conversations happen where, uh, a, a pastor is like, you should never be with a man. And then the internet is like, yeah, he probably sucks dick every night. Yeah, he's, oh, he probably says that because he's gay. It turns into like just bashing gay people. Right. Like they think that they're being like heroes by saying he's probably actually gay. But it turns into them But then going, that's an insult. Yeah, they're insulting him. They're going, he's probably fucking gay. He probably sucks dick. You know, like it's just like, okay, that's not. Yeah, a, you're probably bad too is what they're right, saying. Exactly. Exactly. But, you're yeah, probably bad too. That's what I do love about this movie because- you know, as uh, Trinity is kind of like showing the uh, documentary film crew what her life is kind of like, you know, she's kind of putting up this facade in the moments in which she's not putting up a front for the cameras. She is showing how much anguish she's in, so much pain that she's in, because this situation is hardest on her because she has these two sides. She has everyone saying you should just leave him, you know, how dare you say with someone like that. But then you also have the entire church community saying, hey, don't ever leave your man. Don't ever divorce, you know, divorce is the worst thing you can do. During the movie, it's like you don't really understand why it is that she is feeling this way so heavily other than the comments that are made to her until you get to this point where they start talking to the lawyers and then they really start going into the scandal of it all. Right. And then what Dan, exactly what Daniel was talking about, which is it's not about, oh, he's gay. Ha ha ha. It's, oh, he's a predator. And right. it doesn't matter if it's about women or men. He is a predator. He's a predator. He's, yeah, these are not, you know, they, they mention, they try to do these cover-ups by saying to the lawyers and stuff, like, these are not children. These are grown men who are consenting to, you know, doing these things with the pastor. And then you find As out that they're like. that's a good like, thing. Yeah. And then you find out that they're like 18, 19, 20-year-old men. Right. So it's like and so that they were saying, bribed and promised things and completely groomed by yeah, him. And they're completely groomed and they're completely, you know, it, it's it's very like reminiscent of the Me Too movement, especially like the way that it, you know, was brought up in, in Hollywood specifically. Like, you know, you do this for me and I'll get you into the next movie, you know, whatever it is. And so it's it's um, coercion, you know, it's it's, you know, it's assault by coercion, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they are using the same like phrases and logic that people used against women during the me too movement. Like, Oh, you could have just not done it. You're a consenting adult. You chose them. You made those decisions. And it's like, that's not how this works. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody can consent to coercion. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what happened to these young men. And so, you know, they do make it clear that, you know, he groomed them in a way that he gave them clothes. He, and, and he like specifically targeted 
you know, underprivileged, uh, you know, young men. And so, you know, and, and also underprivileged young men who had aspirations, you know what I'm saying? One of the first uh, characters that they bring up that was part of this lawsuit was a basketball player. And so he kind of talks about how much he loved playing basketball and how much he like ball was life for him. And that the courts at this church were the best courts in town. What, what are you going to do? Like these are the best courts in town. And he would hook him up with shoes and he would give him, you know, rides and he would, you know, open, make special occasions where he would go and open the gym for him just so he can play basketball. And they end the scene with this guy, because again, all these people have signed, you know, their, their settlement agreement. So I'm sure, you know, they are all under NDA. So no one says anything specific, but then they just have the basketball player. And he's just like, yeah, I guess I'm going to find somewhere else to play now. And then that's it. And then they cut to another scene. That's not part of the mockumentary. Right. And this this is probably my favorite scene of the movie. It is very cut and dry. All humor is gone. This is a very honestly tough scene to watch um, where you see in action how like how he does this, how the pastor um, courts these men. Um, He is getting the mics taking off, taken off of him from the uh, audio uh, engineer that's behind the uh, documentary crew. And he's kind of telling the guy like, um, yeah, it's so cool what you do, man. This, the, all the audio and stuff. That's such a cool job. And he even, you know, kind of subtly inquires and goes, I mean, that's a pretty big job. You got to be what, at least 18, 19 to be able to like get hired for that. Like something that subtle where he's trying to figure out his age and he's like, well, I mean, I'm 26. And he's just like, oh, like, okay. well, here's how I stay young. Yeah. And he goes, here's how I stay young. And he says, uh, I have a shaving routine, like a, a regimen, like I have to keep shaved, which is, again, a hint at like just these creepy vibes of like, yeah, I want to look young. I want, you know, I like young. I don't like facial hair. I don't, you know, it's like, and, and he's already taken his shirt off. Too. Yeah. He took his shirt off to show off his muscles. You know, he's doing all of these tactics that, you know, you would be familiar with uh, if you are you know, up to date on how, how these predators like, you know, do this stuff. And so it, it's just a really intense scene and until he eventually starts talking to him and says, you know, after this uh, whole movie comes out, you know, it's going to be really big. It's going to be awesome. And I think maybe you should come do audio at the church and, you and know, work with I, our videography team. Yeah, you can work with our team. And, you know, I also know a lot of people in this industry. I know a lot of people in town. I can make some calls. You know, he's just starting to promise him all this stuff. And as he's doing this, he keeps getting closer and closer to him until he eventually reaches up on him and touches his face very, you know, predatorily. Um, And he kind of just says this uh, line about like, man, you're just so scruffy. Talking about his facial hair as he touches his face. And I love this this, uh, character's line, this audio engineer. He goes, yeah, my boyfriend likes it. Right. Which is get the fuck off of me. I know who you are. I know what you're doing. Like, get off of me. Like, just, and, and not even a, just that, rejection. but it also makes me feel like, like, again, like, because he is a predator, you know, he is, you know, perceptive about who he believes is either gay or, you bi know, or, bi. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah he, exactly. I, I thought that too. I was like, oh, he, know, he knew. Right. He's right. like, he knew. And, and that's why he does this to this guy. To this guy, yeah, he picks, he, yeah, he picks him, and so, and then he, uh, you know, kind of turns around and sees his wife was watching the whole time, and I love this because then Trinity comes in, she picks up his shirt, and his tie, and hands it to him, like like he's a dirty whore. That's what it felt yeah. like. It was like put your fucking clothes on, you whore, 
And yeah. she tells him, you just settled in court. You just settled in court and you're already being generous again. Did you give him anything? It's like she already knows how he works. Right. And not she just that, him. but it's like they have already talked about like these like this settlement took like almost everything from them. Yeah. Like they just gutted them, and which I mean, rightfully so. Thank God. Right. They are under the impression that others are going to feel sympathetic to them. Because of these, you know, settlements. And then after this scene, when she comes and tells them that, that's when I was like, you know, really thinking. I was like, yeah, thank God, bro. Like, fuck this guy. I hope they fucking drained him for everything. You know what I'm saying? Right. And she's like trying to tell him, like, like we just settled. You know what I'm saying? She's like, yeah. like they just took everything from us. Right. And she's right. Right. That's like you are like you had you mentioned. You mentioned just a while ago, you're saying it. Her character is struggling because half of the people are saying, why don't you leave him? And the other half are saying, well, you know, sweetheart, you just got to support your man. You got to be there for your husband. And so now you you have to realize, too, everything that has happened to him has happened to her. She lost her congregation. She lost the church all because of something that he did. She did nothing wrong. And she lost the city, too. You know what I'm saying? This, yeah. This city she lost the support. Lost yeah. She lost the support of like. The people she and it's can't like, like and they they show this by like again they don't they don't specifically tell you this but like she can't go to the mall without somebody saying some shit she can't go to the mall without the boys that were involved with this and being there yeah seeing you know the saying? victims like, yeah. yeah she can't like she can't go out in public and just live her life because people are everyone talks you know what I'm saying and, and rightfully so and so yeah and, and so like there's also this like kind of subplot of this movie as well that's going on which is like. Part of like, you know, if the problem is, you know, we lost our church, you know, the solution is we're going to open it up. Okay, well, what's the obstacle to opening that up? Well, there's another church and this other church has a co-pastor, right? They have the husband and the wife and they're both pastors and they are much younger. Um, you know, and they're just as charismatic. They're just as outgoing. And they have taken basically all of their congregation. When that when the church had to shut down, everyone except for about five people had to go. Um, you know, somewhere else. And this church is now expanding and they're planning to open another church. And so the whole plot is like, oh, they're going to open up on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, they reopen their church. Well, this other congregation, this other church is opening their second church on Easter Sunday as well. Yeah. And this was another theme in the movie that I, you know, it's hard to feel too much sympathy for this pastor character because he's a piece of shit. But like, he very clearly does not like the fact that he is aging. He's feeling his youth slip away from him like heavily throughout this movie. And it, I can connect with that. I, I yeah, it, it's tough to grow older for sure. And they're staring at younger versions of themselves, essentially in that scene where they, the scene, they, they are asking them if they can change the day that they're opening their church. They're like, Hey, we're, we're trying to reopen and like come back on Easter Sunday. So we'd appreciate it if y'all could, open your second church on a different day and it becomes this passive aggressive argument of well the lord has spoken to us and we just the lord is telling us that we need to open on easter sunday you know it's just which i love in this yeah, movie how right. many times they use the lord as almost this like as the the bearer of bad news or like yeah you know, as the messenger well the lord said and who are you going to argue with the lord you know it's right. like it's a, it's a power we're on it. yeah we're yeah. going to pray on it which it's which like, again that's you know that, and that's that's not uncommon in those communities either. Not at all. We've we've heard it all. Like like you know, uh, you know, the Lord doesn't want you doing that. You know, I, I know because I've asked him. Like like we've right. got, we've gotten that. You know, or or, or saying a, a a piece of the scripture that just supports your point of view. Yeah, it doesn't matter if that scripture has anything to do with that topic. You can manipulate it to make it 
support your argument. It's right. something that is very scary about um, religion to me. It's like, oh my gosh, like you can use these words as weapons. You exactly. Know? And that's why I love this scene is that even though it's like not the most important or most compelling thing that happens in the movie, what it is, what it shows for me is like, you know, these two people have been doing this. They've been weaponizing this, this religion. They've been weaponizing it as the leaders of the religious, you know, congregation in this town. And they're being beaten at their own game. Yes. That's what's happening. Exactly. They are facing, yeah, they're, they're getting a taste of their own medicine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, it was it's awesome. like another it was way a, for them to be punished. So following this, they decide that, you know what, we need to beat them. We, we, what we're going to do is we're going to open up early. We're going to open up a week early. We're going to do Sunday before Easter Sunday. Um, and I love, I love this too, because he comes up with this and he's like, it's just like the actual thing that we're celebrating on Easter, right? No one knew that Jesus was going to be resurrected and, you know, not be in the tomb. No one knew it. It's a surprise. I enjoyed that because I thought the same thing. I was like, I, before he even announced it, I was like, well, if you're going to really get into the spirit, you should shock everyone and not actually do you. Right. It's like, yeah, it's almost like meta, you know, theater exactly. <laughs> where you are, you know, yeah, I just I love and I just love how organic it felt this in this pool scene of him coming up with it, especially because you can see that Regina uh, or that Trinity's um, is like very like not for this idea because she's like this this dude does not have his shit together yet. Like but she he, also but it's, again because they established this dynamic earlier where she can't question him, she can't tell him what to do because mm-hmm. you know it's the woman and the man dynamic, you know. There's multiple times where he tries to do the same thing to her. And at the beginning of the movie, she listens to him. And so, like, that's part of her arc, I think, in, in the movie. And this is definitely one of those moments where it's like, you can tell, like, we all know, like, his idea sucks. <laughs> and so, like, but, like, she can't, you know, all she can do is subtly suggest. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and that brings me, like, that dynamic, too, is something that I wanted to bring up as well. Because of one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which was the scene of her having uh, breakfast with her mom. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, this is, like... Right after, you know, she had an, an interaction with somebody um, in which, you know, again, she was questioned about how come, you know, you haven't left. And then he also does something that makes her feel like maybe I should have left, him, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like she has this conversation with her mom who was supposed to be like a confidant for her. And she just completely shuts her down. Right. You know, and you, you kind of realize like why you know, she's feeling the way that she's feeling. Like she literally, you know, she, she talks to her mom. She's like, I don't know how this is going to work. And she's like, I'm sorry. Are you a Christian? Okay. Well, I want to hear you say it because I, because you don't sound like one right now. You know what I would do when I wanted to leave your father, I would go to the Bible and I would go to Jesus and I would come back. I can't even talk like this without going into the Southern accent, but yeah, (laughs) I would go to Jesus. Okay. I would come back and I would come back to him. And she asked her, she said, well, how many times how long until you had to stop going to the Bible about daddy? And she said, when I buried him. And so it's just like that, that is what is she's, she's being faced with. She is being heavily faced with very traditional values from her own family. Right. Her, her most, like you said, confidant, right. The person that should be the most voice of reason for her is telling her suffer, right? Suffer through it. He'll die one day. And you know or what? You'll die one day. And you know what she doesn't have in the movie? She doesn't have any friends that yeah. weren't part of the congregation. She doesn't have any like she does not open up about this to anyone else. And this again is another scene that's not part of the mockumentary. So again, like that's why I love like the scenes that they do with this because 
this kind of shows like the only person that she has vocally expressed the her thoughts of wanting to divorce him was her mom and, and this is the response that she got right so i yeah i just i mean yeah again like that dynamic like it's such a crucial part of her character arc for the movie True. Yeah, that was such an important scene, and it was heartbreaking to watch. There's so many, again, there's so many scenes in this movie that are heartbreaking. It's hard to watch. Um, uh, so as this movie starts kind of winding down and uh, starting to enter this kind of final chapter where they're finally going to open back up, um, there's a scene that takes place where they are having a rehearsal for this big reopening uh, service. And this was my second favorite scene in the whole movie. It was just beautiful to me because, well, for a number of reasons, right? It's a, it's a tour de force of acting by both of these characters. I mean, both of these actors in the scene. Sterling Brown keeps doing this very clearly rehearsed uh, opening, talking about how he's not a perfect man, but God doesn't make perfect men. And, and then she just cuts him off. Oh, it's, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. And, you know, and she's sitting in the pews instead of uh, on stage with him, as they usually do. And she keeps cutting him off and telling him, like, you're, I just don't feel it. You got to get to You need to make me feel it. I'm, I, what are you even saying? And he's like, you, if you would let me get to it, like, I'll get to it. Right. And so after about two or three times of him getting cut off, he finally starts giving this sermon and music starts playing, too, in the background. And it's this really nice shot that starts in front of him and kind of 360s slowly around him to where you are now behind him facing the, the empty crowd an empty crowd and to me and and it was very compelling it, what he was saying was compelling what he how he was saying it was compelling because again he's just a phenomenal actor and his character is just a good pastor in this regard right because he's like he just knows how to do it he knows how to put on a, a goddamn show and, and it was very much like a similar to what you would expect from someone who actually dealt with a, a, a um, like controversy like this mm-hmm. in that he doesn't admit anything that he did, doesn't nope. do anything specific and then just says, but we all forgive me, right? Exactly. And, and, and turns it on the audience, right? He's like, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. We're just God's children, We're right? We're the same. You We're the same, I. you and I. We both you know, which are predators yeah. have to take advantage yeah. of underprivileged it's, it's, youth. We're the same. Again, it's what it's what what makes it so amazing to me because you know we did grow up religious. We grew up going to church, and I remember I remember crying at church sometimes because it brought me to tears. How just beautiful and amazing it was, and seeing this scene gives you a behind the scenes of how, in, in my eyes at least, how simple it is to just be a good speaker, and you can manipulate anyone. It's the same thing they do in sales. It's the same thing that they do right. in TED Talks. You just you you just do it. You you if you're a good speaker, it's going to be captivating. And the way that the camera gets behind him, it makes me feel like oh, this with the music playing and how like you know dramatic it is, and it's behind him, and it shows the light peering in, and it's like this is what he sees when he's doing this. This is how he feels. He feels like the center of the world, the the giver of this message. Right. And what makes this scene amazing is it's he, it finishes and it cuts to her and she's like, oh, you're, oh, you're done? Okay. And right. because now you have seen what it looks like from his perspective and it cuts to her sitting in the pews. And she's music. trying to see it from the, from the audience's perspective. Yeah, she's sitting there. Who's going to come in. Exactly. And the music drops and it's like, okay, what did you do? She calls him out. She's like, you're not saying anything. You're not. She goes, if you're going to 
you know, connect to these people, you need to tell them everything. And, and, he goes, and at the same time, she's trying to say, you need to tell me everything. Exactly. It's yeah. It, yeah. It's the subtle, like, just say it. You've never said it. Just say it. Say what you did, you know? And he's like, I, I am saying everything. That's my soul up there. That's my, you know, it's just like, which means he's, that he is corrupted. fully convinced. He has lied to himself enough that he actually doesn't think that anything he did was a big deal or a problem. You know what I mean? Right. And he says this multiple times. He, he says like, oh, I really was trying to help those people. And I right. really tried to help these boys. And I was trying to save them. And I I did that. And like all this stuff. And it's like he is fully corrupted. And, you know, and here's what I'll say without, without giving anything specific. There are people in me and Daniel's lives who have done that same thing. They have used their religion to say, well, Jesus forgives me. Therefore, you do, too, because I didn't do anything wrong because Jesus saves. And so it's like he is fully corrupted at this point. Right. right. He is too far gone to where he genuinely believes those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a it's a pivotal scene because. And then she is us. She yeah. is. She's us. And that's and that's why I think I connected with it so much is this concept of like not only does he believe everyone else will forgive him once he gives this wonderful fucking speech, but he thinks that she is supposed to somehow forgive him and move on. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like that's why I like, and I know it's like not everyone's going to have that same personal connection, but I really felt that in that moment where I was like, man, like you just think that everyone is on your side now because of this thing that you've decided for you. But she's telling him like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that at all. <laughs> like yeah. she called, And this is a big part of her. And the, I think that something I noticed in this scene with her sitting in the pews is that they're never on the same level. Even when he comes off of the stage, he's still standing yeah, over Yeah, he never sits down. Yeah, he's standing over. That's very true. That's a good observation, yeah. The framing of that is very important. Yeah, he. Yeah, that. I love it too because she finally speaks up. You know, like she finally is starting to speak up about, about stuff. So, yeah, after the scene where she's like confronting him, saying like, oh, you need to do better on your speech and kind of acting as the audience... Um, we get the scene. Uh, the reason for the name of the movie is that in order to promote the opening of the church, uh, Trinity is standing on the side of the road with the pastor and they are like kind of barking at people and she's holding a sign that says honk for Jesus. And so there's a couple of different scenes where she's holding this sign and they're trying to promote the, the opening of the church. And then towards the end of the movie, you get this really, really great scene where um, they're doing this uh, same thing, you know, and he's kind of barking out, you know, a, a, like scripture and things like that at people. And yeah, and that's like, so the opening shot is this, you know, sculpture of Je the statue of Jesus. And so she brings it out and they get a bunch of honks at first and then they stop getting honks. So because of that, he wants her to do something more dramatic. So he does like this motion to show like miming. And he's like, come on, baby, I need this. She's like, no. And he's like, don't, don't prevent, don't be the reason that we don't do this. And it's like, he's acting all serious. And at first I thought it was going to be like, like he was like doing like a, a gesture to mean something else. Did yeah, you think that too? Yeah. I thought it was leading up to something like more dramatic maybe, or like something like some, I don't know. It was built up to be like something insanely humiliating or like crazy. Or even like, I don't even know, like like something out of the box is what it seemed like he said he was trying to do because he does yeah. like a, the mime stuck in a box. And at first I thought he was literally saying, I'm going to come out. <laughs> like that's what he was oh, going to do. Really? That was going to be the big stunt is he was oh. just going to come out as, as bi or something like that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, but no, it's literally, I guess she does a mime routine. 
Mm-hmm. And so she goes and puts on my makeup. So it's not like a ton. It's not a full face, but it's like about, you know, the majority of her face. And um, she starts to do this mime sequence. And then we get one of the most dramatic and like well shot sequences in the whole movie. Um, and he is doing this. And one of the kids that he and I do say kids because, again, these these actors, they look like 19, 20 year old guys. And mm-hmm. um you know, I really like the casting of, of this character, which is this was the one when they were talking with the lawyer about the settlement. He said that one person was holding out. That's right. Yeah. Khalil. Khalil. And so that is who pulls up and they just he's his friend stops the car and he starts holding up traffic and like kind of causing a scene. And then he just straight up confronts him. Yeah. This scene was really tense because he, they're holding up traffic for a while. And the, the expression on Khalil's face is a little scary. It's almost like, you know who he is, right? You're like, oh, it's a victim. But to me, it felt like, is he about to get out and, like, harm him? You know? I thought it was going to be, like, a, a shooting yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it felt like he was about to get revenge, you know? And so either he was going to beat the shit out of him or, yeah, even further, like, maybe shoot him. Like, yeah. And, and, and they, he, they they said, even the way he walks up to him, like, yeah. it, it draw, draws out for a little bit. And it's like, oh, my God, what's he about to do? And I think that's what makes what happens that much more impactful because after, after just the silence and... You know, he keeps approaching him and getting closer to uh, the pastor. And Lee Curtis is like, you don't got to do this. Like, chill, chill. You know, it's like he then he turns around and he he's just starts laughing at him. He starts laughing and it's almost like he's crying at first. It sounds like right. he's kind of crying. I think he's trying to trick him into think he's crying. And it turns into laughter. He's like, he's just like, you're a fucking joke. You're a joke. Look at you on the side of the road. With the statue begging, of Jesus. Yeah, just begging people when you used to be at the top. Like, look at you. You're a fucking joke. And like, he tells him, you know, and I lo- like you said, this was good casting. It was, this actor was awesome. I loved his yeah. delivery of a lot of these lines. And yeah, he tells him, he says, nobody wants you here. And more importantly, no one needs you here. Yeah. We have all been doing so much better since you've been out of the picture. Yeah. And I think that the dialogue here too, I really love because it, it does go more into like, again, like what he was doing for these boys, you know, he's like, and he like, like, it's like heartbreaking because they, they, they keep saying these were consenting adults and these were consenting boys, whatever. And it's felt as though Khalil in a way thought that they might've been in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that's like he, because that is part of what grooming does to victims of it is that they can start to believe that what's happening to them is normal and that it's okay. And so because of that, then they're more willing to do things that they otherwise might not do. And so when he's like, he's like, you know, I really thought that I was special. You yeah. Know, I thought I was the only one that you were out here giving shoes to and, and clothing and, and, and given the new car, mm-hmm. you know, Camaro. Like, can you believe that? You know, he's like, I really thought that, that you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, like I meant something to you. Right. You know? And it's, so it's like this heartbreaking thing where it's like, you know, it's like a, uh, someone who was a victim of something. And then it being, you know, coming out as that. And then like that realization, you know, and, and I think that that happens a lot. You know, we, we, I've seen it in, in, in the news and in even, you know, like personal situations that I've, I've, you know, been like, I've been made aware of. And I've like told people, I'm like, you know, when those, you know, survivors, those victims, those people who were manipulated, when they grow up, they're going to realize what happened and it's going to be really hard for them. And I think that that's what like, part of like this being, you know, like, like hand in hand with the me too movement. And then that's part of it is like, people are like, well, why didn't you blah, blah. And it's like, but you don't understand what was happening to you when it was happening 
you know, to the degree, like people like, like all the victim blaming that happens all the time, you know? And I think that, you know, this reaction from this boy is so like, like heartbreaking in so many ways, in so many ways that he is now being confronted and we are being confronted, you know, with all this. And so is Trinity. She's being confronted you know, with the reality because he won't say what he did, you know what I'm saying? And so this is like, Oh, he's going to get called out, but of course he can't because he signed the settlement. Right. And so this scene is like really tough. And then what's even, what makes it even more heartbreaking and more like heartfelt is, is the pastor's reaction and his still continuance of his total corruption and his total of going, no, I helped you. Right. I tried to save you. I tried to save you. Yeah. I don't know. This scene was, yeah, pretty intense and it was well done. And I mean, it, it, it immediately leads into, for me, the most emotional part of the movie, you know, or like, like the, I guess the best performance of the movie. Yeah. Of her walking out and yeah, everything. Not yeah. my most emotional point, but the most emotional right. point for our characters. Yeah. This, this scene does lead into, I think this is a, the peak of Trinity because it's her finally walking away even i mean literally she walks away from this and says i'm done and says i'm done and she she's she sees in the flesh what he has done to people he is no longer in her eyes just a man who has saved he is a man who has hurt and has done the exact opposite and yeah she walks away back into the church and gets followed by him and the uh, crew and like you said this leads to one of the best performances in the whole movie where completely in my makeup, um, she just starts bearing her truth and lets her guard down for just a second, finally, with cameras on. You know, it's like, and she tells them, you know what? Yes, I did think about leaving him. I thought that everything was fucked, essentially. Like I, Which is what the crew was trying to get out of her. Yeah, of yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like I said, the, the beginning of the movie wasn't about her, but then there's this moment where she asks for the cameras to stop. And then we get another moment where it's not part of the mockumentary. You know, they do stop rolling. And she basically tells them like, yeah, you know, a pastor is the head of the organization, but the, uh, the first lady is the spine. She's the structure. She's the, you know, she's the neck, the spine, the body, you know? And so it was like, from that moment is when the documentary film crew was like, okay, well we're going to, we're going to try and get this story because this is something that, that we need to tell. And so, part of her story is doubting her marriage and they're trying to get this out of her. And she, and that that's, that's the truth she won't bear. And I like that in this moment, she does this because she kind of realizes like once he denies it again to a victim's face and still denies what he did, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. I'm not going to keep hiding from this shit. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to own up to this you know if, if he's not going to take accountability for anything i'll take accountability for something um she's practicing what she preaches you know what she does a lot in this movie which is it makes her such a grounded character um yeah i love this scene she she finally you know just admits that yeah i wanted to leave him and she says you know her kind of closing line in this whole monologue is i'll i will kill him before i i would sooner kill him before i leave him which is the message she was explicitly given by her mother. Like, hey, you want out of this? Bury He's got to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's and, like, and it's intense, too, because you get to see his reaction, which is, one, he hasn't heard any of this. He hasn't heard her 
he, you know, he, for all we know, he convinced himself he's not an abuser, so he can easily convince himself, yeah, she's in love with me, she supports me, she's my rock, she, she's, right. there's no way she would leave me, and he's so, it's a, you know, revelation for him, but also hearing that, I, that I would kill him before I would leave, yeah. you see and his, this is like shock on his face. And she, and she's like kind of egged on to do this because the documentary filmmaker, Anita, who, I love the way that the, the filmmakers in this movie are characters within themselves, not just the one who's on screen, like the, the sound guy, but all of them, like the way that they are talked talk, spoken to and interact in the camera movement, they kind of become part of the story, which I yeah. really enjoy. And at this moment, you know, Anita has been part of the story because she's the one who's directing the movie. So she's not behind camera. She's not, you know what I'm saying? So they are acting as if they're just hanging out like her and Anita. And so, you know, Anita finally says something for the first time and she's like, well, why didn't you just leave? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're really asking that right now? Like, you're really asking me this? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it leads to that moment. Like, this is the decision I made. This is my husband. And I would rather, I would sooner kill him than leave him. And what's, what's crazy is like, there's nothing that me and Daniel can do on this podcast. Even if we said it word for word, exactly how she said it, that will convey these emotions because her like physical acting was so like high, high quality, high, like top tier. Yeah, she she absolutely crushed this role, and there are actors who are so good with their words or their actions and the way they say things, and then there's actors like this who are so dynamic that they can communicate things without saying a single word and just a change of expression, and she did that so many times in this movie where it just blew me away. You know, when I, when I talk about like her, her physical acting, I mean, when she delivers the line, I'd sooner kill him than leave him. I like I can't tell you how I know only based on what I observed from her body language and her facial expression that that was not a an expression she was using. She was literally saying I would literally kill this man before I will leave him. Yeah. And that and again, like you said, he had not heard this up. So this is the first time he's hearing this. And again, all of this is being done and said while she's in full mime makeup. Yeah, like that—that's how you know it's a good performance, right? Because you're, you, she looks silly physically with all this mind makeup on, and it's she just kills it to where you you kind of forget it's even there. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Um, which and then this you know big thing happens, okay, and then we get the final scene, um, which is them standing in front of the church. Uh, welcoming anyone who comes in and you can see that no one's coming in. Um, just a couple of people who have, you know, we've already met in the documentary so far. And, uh, and the other church has now decided that they are going to open today. A week and, before Easter Sunday. Yeah. A week before Easter Sunday. They did not stick with their plan to open Easter Sunday. And, in the, and it, there's a lot of people at their church and they have a little, you know, uh, interview with them. And they they say, you know, the Lord just spoke to us. And well, they're, they're like they're, they ask them like, hey, so did you know that, you know, the other church was opening today? And they said, no, no. What? Yeah. If we would have known that they were pretty dead set on Easter and the Lord spoke to us and said, you know what? We, we should let them have it. Yeah. If we had known that we would have never. We would never have. Yeah. And then they start like dancing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, and then their church is just popping. And they just know? get completely dunked on. And that's like, you know, the, the completion of. That that story, right? Like, like you know, what I'm saying, like there is a story, there is a consistent plot line in the story. Didn't say, are we going to open the church? When are we going to open it? We open it, and so they just get completely dunked on, and everything that Khalil said to him is thrown back into his face. We don't need you. We mm-hmm. were better off without you, and everything that she said to him when he was giving that sermon also rings true. 
No one cares. Yeah. Like what you have to say about this, unless you're telling the truth. Yeah, this final scene was extremely impactful. We, 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 they, we see that the other church is flourishing. They move their date up, and then we have to go right back to them standing and seeing no one. And it's weird, too, because this scene, again, it's presented in a way that's kind of ominous. And, and seeing the realization on Trinity's face, everything is now hitting her. She is now seeing for sure there is no coming back. It is all completely gone. We are a joke. It's yep. done. It's done. And you see it on her face and she's holding it together. And it's like, you can tell she wants to break, but she can't. And this is where maybe probably my favorite shot of the whole movie. And it, it's the very final shot. It goes from her face, holding everything in, trying not to shed a tear, pans over to the statue of Jesus and zooming in on him. And he's crying. And he's crying. Yeah, there's tears on the statue. And then boom, credits. And this is what brings me to a point that I wanted to bring up. Um, there were three moments in this movie that felt so metaphorical to me. And I don't know if they were intended that way. They just felt that way. Um, and I'll start with this, this shot, right? This shot is, is showing, it shows her holding everything, going through all this pain and holding it together. And then painting to a portrait of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns again in pain completely in pain having to hold it together and he's smiling but crying smiling but crying it's just I mean so clearly like you know this awesome comparison um yeah so that was one of them uh the other one I guess we'll go uh from back to forward um is the mime scene so she's finally revealing true thoughts and feelings finally on camera and it's when she's literally wearing a mask, right? She has this uh, mime makeup on. So when she's disguised in this makeup is ironically when she finally reveals who who she really is and what she's been really feeling and dropping. And you had a good interpretation of this too, Dave. Yeah, I mean, the, the metaphor that I, I got from this scene is that while she's wearing the mime makeup is the first time that she actually does speak her mind. This juxtaposition because he has been silencing her. He has been telling her what to do and she has been complying even to the degree of him forcing her to literally become a mime and telling her, shut your mouth. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And then so like in this scene, like she's finally like, like breaking free from that, but she is like still a mime. And then the other thing is that from some perspective, she looks like a clown. Like that's, you know, that's the perception of her. Right. What she's actually saying and feeling and how she like who she is is not what people see. All they see is you're a clown. You should have left him. Exactly. Yeah, that's a fantastic interpretation. Um, and then the last one I wanted to mention is, so when they, um, again, I don't know if this is intended. It's just I, I could not help but think it was a metaphor. Um, when they are starting the documentary and they first go back to the church for the first time, they step on a piece of gum on the uh, right on the pavement and it gets all over his shoe and he's freaking out. And because he talks about how hard it is to get off at the very end of the movie, when she finally walks away from the situation towards the church, she steps in gum again. And she's like, God damn it. And it's almost like a comedic thing. But I couldn't help but think I was like, it felt like a metaphor to me of you went back to the church finally after all this time and you step in this gum and then it's finally reopening day and you step in the gum again. And it, to me, it felt like it just felt like a metaphor of like you are tarnished. 
You will never get this off. You will always be oh. stepping on this piece of gum. You're not going to get it off of you. I really like that. You are tarnished. You are now seen as you will be seen. You're not, you can scrape all you want. You're not getting it off. And what's funny about this gum is it looked like someone chewed a whole fucking pack of gum. Yeah, a goddamn big league chew someone, bag. Someone did that on purpose, all right? Someone who is yeah. like not a fan of him. You know what I'm saying? And right. would, you know, pick, take your pickings on that town, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, but I, I really, really like that. I did not think about that at all, but that is very true. It's like, and, and what's great about it is that she also gets it on her. So she's exactly. also stuck with this he reputation. He steps on it in the first, uh, in the first scene. And then she steps on it at, at the scene towards the end. Yeah. Good point. But yeah. I mean, I really like that. Again, it, you know, this, this movie was really great guys. I, I, again, if you, if you get the opportunity, please go check it out. Um, for me, I'm going to say my favorite part of the movie. Now I have lots of favorite parts of this movie, but I'm choosing a comedic one because we've talked a lot about the impactful scenes that, that we really enjoyed. So I'm just going to go with one of the ones that's again, not part of the mockumentary, uh, section of it. It's <laughs> a scene of them driving home and like, you know, like whatever car that, what is it like an escalator or something? I don't Some know. kind of, yeah, yeah, SUV. And he puts on the song, Nuck If You Buck. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but but yeah, and so and he again is supposed to be like this pastor figure, and this is early on in the movie. Yeah, so it's one of the first times you see the real him. Exactly. Yeah. And then he just starts singing every single lyric along with Nook If You Buck, yeah, and just like talking about like like gangster shit and like you know you know using the N word and like all these things, and then like like while well, the whole time Trinity's just kind of sitting there like ignoring him, and then she starts singing the female part of the song, yeah. like, you know the next part, and it's like funny because. It felt as though, like, like in their relationship, this is how he gets her in a good mood. He's like, oh, she can't resist singing Nuck If You Buck With Me. Yeah. And so it's like, like I have songs like that with my wife, and they're definitely not that. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, uh, so it's just like, I thought it was so funny. And it's, again, it's just so, it's just a funny scene in the way that, like, a lot of the jokes in, like, Righteous Gemstones are funny, where it's like seeing, like, a, a clergyman, like, doing these things is just, like, so funny. But then this is just, like, it's kind of out of nowhere, and it's, like, towards the beginning of the movie, but... I, I thought it was funny at first, and then when she starts singing it, it got really funny. I yeah, was like, oh was, my god, yeah. like, she, she's into this. Yeah, you don't expect it, so it comes, yeah, it was a great turn, and it was a fun scene. Me and you were, like, in the theater, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you but what? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, because that song bangs, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. You know? But yeah, and it's, it's what's funny about, like, ironically about it, though, is that, like, it's funny. It's it's funny to see them sing that song and be like, "Oh, that's really inappropriate for like a clergyman and, and his wife to be singing." And then I'm like, "Wait, I used to sing that song when I was like nine. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. I probably also should not have been listening or singing that song." Um, but yeah, anyways, and then like I I think my least favorite part of the movie is is only like every scene that they show of the mockumentary uh, that's not or that's not in the mockumentary. I thought was really great, and like most of those scenes are the most impactful scenes in the movie. However. My least favorite part is that they made that decision. I think that if I made the movie, I would try to my hardest to find a way to make the filmmakers filming without permission and getting audio sound bites without permission. Yeah, I think my, my favorite part of the movie was probably the scene in the basketball gym because that's when every like everything is turned on with its the head. the sound guy. Yeah, yeah. with the, the, the predatory scene because you're seeing exactly how he di did what you know, you've been hearing about him doing and it's like, oh shit, this is real and this is scary. And it's also the part of the movie that goes, this is not just a comedy. Like this is really intensely serious. 
and um, uncomfortable. So I really liked that scene. I just thought it was really well done too, well shot and everything. It, you know, it was kind of still and didn't cut a lot. So it was just like, it makes you, it forces you to just be there. And it's like, oh God, you know. Um, so I like that scene for that reason. Um, my least favorite part of the movie was probably the the actor who played the basketball uh, player that right yeah. before that scene was not a good actor. It was really, really over the top. He was just like, yeah, I used to play basketball. Bald his life. <laughs> like, he talked Balls. like that. He also, what did he say? Uh, not, he said a phrase, even, too. Some, some of what he said sounded like, uh, almost like, ironically enough, like like 2K my career. Oh, that's a good comparison. Bald his life. That's why I like to play basketball. I would go there every day after the school. <laughs> And it was the best courts in town. <laughs> like it was the best court in all of the town. Like the way he said all, it's just like I'm a, as a, as an actor. If I was directing, I would be like, let's change that. Just say just say all of the town. Yeah, I don't know. Overall, I really like this movie. And now, so again, we we had talked about maybe skipping this weekend because it's Labor Day weekend and we had a lot you know going on, but. Uh, Dave, if I'm being honest, was the one who was like, no, we're not, you know, we're not going to skip. And I'm really glad he did because this is the best movie we have seen. In my opinion, uh, this is the best movie that we've seen for the podcast so far. So I would give it a seven out of 10. I thought yeah, it was really I, good. That's exactly where I was going to go. Seven out of 10. I mean, I think that, you know, the foundation of a movie is always the script for me. And if the script is really good, then the movie will be good. And you don't have to have the best lighting, the best cinematography the best editing the best sound all that stuff you know if your story is really good and i've seen a really great movie shot with really poor equipment and this movie just happened to have some nicer stuff and so um their foundation being that script was fantastic and something that we love too at the very end of the credits which sometimes me and daniel stay to the end of credits i'll sue us okay whatever we're lame we're losers we stay we watch the credits sometimes but what i loved about the credits is that at the end of the movie you know, it's said like you, you noticed like basically everyone in who was in the movie was also a producer. Like yeah. it's like like Jordan Peele was like the only non like, you know, like participant in the movie that was a producer. And even then it said producer, not executive producer, which means he didn't just bankroll like he was he he provided advice for this movie. Like that's that's, you know, the difference between those roles. And he's not an associate producer, so he probably wasn't on set, but he was involved in, in the making. At the end of the credits, it said like this movie was made by the Ebo twins. And the whole damn cast and crew. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah. Yeah, it was a very, like, heartwarming um, title. Yeah, because like, you I mean, can yeah. tell, like, everyone put so much into this movie. Yeah, Sterling Brown was a producer. Regina Hall was, like, the people, everyone, this was clearly a passion project. It was people that believed in it and loved it and did what they, whatever they could to make it. And, it, and I'm grateful that we went to go see it, it in showed. theaters instead of on Peacock. Um, yeah, but for now, this we're is the gonna, first movie we've seen where I, I will say to the anyone listening, please watch this movie. Yeah, everything else I'm Hopefully like, you if already you want have, to, but yeah. yeah, everything else is like, oh, if you want to, go for it. Some of them we've literally said, don't go for <laughs> it. Right. But this is the one that I'm like, you know what? You need to go see it for yourself. Like, I really do think, even, even Emily the Criminal, I was like, if you can, go check it out, but it's not like necessary. But this one, I'm definitely like, yeah, like, 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 I want this movie to get more support. Me too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so we are going to take a break here. We're going to move on to the second half of our podcast where we're going to go online and see what other people have said about the movie. See if the people have the same opinions, different opinions and anything we missed. See you soon. And we're back. <laughs> Part two, baby. 
that's how they open the fantasy football podcast I listen to. Like, and we're back. You're really going to talk about other podcasts on our podcast? I didn't name it. That's competition. I did not name the podcast, okay? <sighs> but if you do find a fantasy football podcast that's literally the biggest fantasy football podcast in the world, and you realize that they do that, uh, you'll know which one it is. Uh, we're back with part two, guys. Slim pickings this week. <laughs> it yeah, looks like the- I, don't, I don't know what's going on with Reddit, but um, they're... Discussion mega thread that is usually on the you know stickied on the main page of the movies subreddit is not even updated. It's from six days ago, um, so I tried searching all over and I cannot find an official discussion for uh, this movie. But I did find a you know just user made one who's like, "Hey, has anyone seen this movie yet? I want to talk about it." Yeah. Um, and so I'll mention a, a couple of comments from that, and then uh, Dave also watched an interview that uh, Sterling Brown did with Regina Hall for IMDb as well. Yeah, so uh, we'll start with your comment, Dan, and then I'll do my thing, and then uh, we'll get the fuck out of here. <laughs> we'll get the fuck out of here. We, we, are, we are officially, part two is at nighttime, so the crickets are, <laughs> the crickets are back for part two, guys. That's, That's right. how long it took us to find some, No, I'm just fucking with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, this person said, um, I saw this over the weekend, and it's actually one of the better movies that I've seen this year. I'm really surprised by the mostly negative reception that it's been getting so far from audiences. I thought Adama Ibo did a great job balancing the comedy with the more dramatic aspects, and both leads were entertaining. I appreciate how expressive Regina Hall is. She got a really big laugh out of me just by flashing an insincere smile at the camera. Um, So I thought that was a cool um, comment because it really encapsulated a lot of stuff that we appreciated about it. And I also thought it was interesting. I didn't know that this is getting negative reception from audiences. So with that in mind, someone replied, um, they said, I'm actually starting to think that the negative reception is probably coming from overly religious people who are sensitive about religion and how this movie is loosely based on real life church and scandals after all. I think it works best for people who can separate the two because the movie isn't saying it's bad to be religious, um, but like all things, there's good and bad and religion is not exempt from that. Basically, be cautious of false prophets or fake people in church. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I have I have a friend who is religious, right? And him, canceled, canceled. No, how dare you? No, 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 no. But you know, he has been since we you know became <laughs> friends, and him and his wife are you know uh, avid churchgoers, and uh, no one hates mega church pastors more than my friend. <laughs> you know, he, right. he dunks on those assholes all the time, and he fucking hates them, and he loves to. To like, you know, just like make people watch them just to show how horrible they are. So it's like, you know, if the negative reception is coming from those people, it's probably the people who are following those fucking false prophets and shit. So, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it, it, it makes me upset that it does have this much negative reception. And it also makes me upset that more people aren't going to go see it in the first place. Um, which, you know, gratefully, you know, we saw it on we saw it on Sunday like we like we should have. Right. We skipped church for this. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do one or two, I think. So there's a couple of things. It's like, well, it was marketed as a straight comedy. So if there's people who Very were true. disappointed by the amount of drama and stuff in there, I could see that. Um, it's on Peacock. So everyone can watch this movie, not just people who go to the theater. Um, so that's what's tough about a movie like this, where it's like, this is legitimately good and it's going to go under the radar. Um, so I, I do hope people watch it. Yeah, because especially because I want to see more from this filmmaker. Because I was just like, oh yeah. And so what we found out she, looking yeah. them up is that uh, so it's it's two sisters, and I think that one of them's the writer, the other one's the director. But 
they the only other things that they have made are shorts. And this movie itself is based off of a short film, which we saw a couple of clips from the original short film. I think I am going to go watch the whole thing, but they did like mimic a lot of exactly what they did. But yeah, it was like I was like, man, that's disappointing, you know, and I'm, I'm very grateful that someone that, that first of all, these actors have invested into them. Jordan Peele has invested in them. So like if they don't get a name from this, it w- at least within the industry, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be it's going to be a detriment. Like that's how I, yeah. that, that's how good I genuinely feel this movie was. It would be a detriment to future filmmaking if these people do not get more opportunities to continue making movies. That's how much I enjoyed it. I agree. And the only thing that I found on the IMDb <laughs> is that Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown didn't know the song Nuck If You Buck. Bruh. What? They like didn't know it before they went on there. And they were like, that's when I felt old is like everyone on set was like, you don't know this. And like Sterling K. Brown was talking about how like he went, he did like a couple of Peloton classes, which obviously he's in amazing shape. Uh, he was like, oh yeah. And it's like a mainstay on that, on Peloton. It's like, bro, like, like they were like going in so hard that I would have thought that they pitched the song. They're like, Hey, we want to do a scene like this. And they pitch it. No, they didn't know. Which like, I love that they were dedicated enough to, to learn the song and go in on it like that. Because that, I don't like that song was just so perfect for that scene. (laughs) So yeah, I, I just thought that was so funny. Yeah. It is just weird. It's weird that like two nerdy white boys are like, Hey, knock if you buck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, uh, okay. And then can't they, wait to talk about this on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I can't wait. And then they're like, wait, what? What's knock if you buck? I'm sorry. So yeah. I mean, if we find anything else that's interesting in the next couple of days, maybe, you know, Reddit will come back after Labor Day weekend. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely post that on the socials. So that's, at Wild Dream Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to get involved in the conversation, tell us what you thought about the episode. Tell us what you thought about the movie if you get the chance to go see it. Again, if you have Peacock, just go check it out, man. It's worth the watch. Trust us. Yeah, this one's easy. You guys can stream it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, next week, we are going to be back with a movie that me and Dan have actually had on the schedule for the first time. I know. In the several weeks. So yeah. we will see you guys next week. Bye, Until guys. Until next time. Honk for Jesus and fart for God.